authentic relationship with God? See, that's the question that Patrick and Mike asked the Consecration Sunday Committee. You see, David and Jeannie, when they asked us to be a part of Consecration Sunday, they asked us to be backup speakers, which is great because it's kind of like being a godparent, right? You get all the credit, but you don't actually have to do any of the work. <laughs> and then you ask, get asked a question like that. What does it mean to have an authentic relationship with God? So I'm a math guy. For those of you who don't know me, I'm very quantitative. So I come up with a formula. Right? Authentic relationship with God equals strong relationship with God himself, strong relationship with your church and your community, plus strong relationship with yourself. Now, all three make a beautiful, beautiful trinity. Right? It makes a great research paper, but it doesn't feel very authentic, does it? So instead, we're just going to tell you our story. And I know, at least in our experience, when you hear people, and not so much at Christ Church, but when you hear people talking at church, it's either a story of redemption or a subtle way of telling you how good a Christians they are. I promise you, this is not those stories. Um, Lisa and I, we met at TCU. And it was freshman year. And I remember she walked in with a group of friends into the Pi Kappa Phi fraternity house, and she was stunning. Still is stunning. Amen. Amen. And I remember, I was like, okay, this woman is the woman for me. Right? You know, you have one of these aha moments. And so she was with a group of people, and there were a lot of fraternity brothers there. So I kind of walk up and say, you know, introduce myself. Hi, I'm Mike, Mike Miller. I tell a few jokes. And I leave a great impression. So much so that she does not remember meeting me. <laughs> but we got together sophomore year. Uh, and we've been together ever since. Now, Lisa grew up Catholic. And I grew up Southern Baptist. So you can imagine, we have had very different views on religion. But we've always been grounded together in faith. Now, let me back up. I told you that I grew up Southern Baptist, and that's not exactly true. I really I grew up non-religious. You see, my parents divorced when I was young. My mom was Catholic. I remember going to Catholic church exactly one time. My dad did not like church, so we didn't go. We occasionally went to the Methodist church by our house, and now that I'm a parent, I realize that that was only because they had a Mother's Day Out program, and they, my parents wanted to pray. You know, and it wasn't until middle school when a friend of mine named Evan Peach invited me to go to Paramount Baptist Church. And that was the first time that I experienced what it was to have a, a Christ-centered community. It was one where you felt the love of Christ. It wasn't just a church. It was a place where you really felt it. Now, since Lisa and I have been together, collectively we have been members of a Catholic church, a Baptist church, Bible church, a Methodist church, two Presbyterian churches, and for the last seven and a half years, an Episcopal church. I think maybe I need to attend your service on what it means to be an Episcopalian. You're like a Baskin Robbins of denominations, I think. Yeah, we are. When we walked in, when we walked up to visit Christ Church seven and a half years ago, I told Lisa, I said, please don't get used to going to a liturgical service. The Southern Baptists and me would not allow that, right? 
And so we walked through that door, and I gotta tell you, it's the first time since middle school that I experienced that Christ-centered love. This is a place we were looking for. We, this place is exceptional. So I've digressed a little bit. So I am a mama's boy, right? I have no problem with that. I'm not ashamed of being a mama's boy. I love this. When I was in high school, my mom was diagnosed with lung cancer. But my mom is a strong person, and I knew that God would heal her. So she met with the doctors. She did chemotherapy. She did her radiation. You know, she followed all of the steps in terms of eating healthy and going through the exercise route. And it went into remission. Hallelujah, right? Yeah. There's that Southern Baptist piece coming back. The, uh, but unfortunately, they didn't catch all of it. Right? So she then got cancer of the diaphragm. Right? But my mom is strong, and God will heal her. Right? So we, we meet with the doctors. She goes through chemotherapy, she goes through radiation, and she starts to feel better. Now, let me give you an insight into how strong my mom is. When she was at her very weakest, she had friends all around her who would offer to do things for her, but she didn't like that. She wanted to do things herself. She wanted the ability to do things. And so when she was at her weakest, she needed oxygen to move around. And, but she didn't like to go in public with her oxygen. So what she would do to get groceries, she would park in the handicapped spot, and she would take her cart up one aisle, turn around, come down the other aisle, park her car, walk back to her car, and take a breathing treatment. And then she would go out again, she would walk up another aisle, down another aisle, and would go in, go back to her car, and take another breathing treatment. That was the strength of her. So when I came home from high school and saw my dad and stepmom crying, they said, Mikey, your mom is back in the hospital. I said, that's okay. She'll get out of there. She's strong. God will heal her. And they look at me and they said, not this time. And to add to this pain, my stepfather took his own life two weeks later. They'd found my mom in a crunch down in the, in a, in the floor. My stepdad had discovered her. And uh, we don't know if she tried to get up and fell or if she just collapsed. But the brain scan came back negative when they rushed her to the hospital. So here I was, a 17-year-old mama's boy without his mama. And I was overwhelmed with confusion. I was overwhelmed with sadness. And I was angry. I blamed God, right? I blamed God. And the thing is, is that when you are overwhelmed with that kind of emotion, you don't really have the words to describe it. Nobody can understand what you're going through. It is hard. And so I turned to the only place I could, which was prayer. And this was not a polite dinnertime kind of prayer. No, this was angry prayer. This was me challenging God. I challenged him on faith. I challenged him on Christianity. I challenged him on his omnipotence. Why couldn't he save my mom? Right? And I felt like Jacob wrestling with God all night. And I'd never had an aha moment. I didn't have the burning bush or flash of light or anything like that. But I developed a sense of calm. It was in those moments that I felt closest with God. 
It was in those moments that I felt the most authentic with God. So I ask you again, what does it mean to have an authentic relationship with God? You know, when I've pulled away from God, it tends to be based on fear. Right? It's, it's fear of how much work is this going to be for me? Or fear of what are other people going to think? Or fear of, well, uh, what might I discover over myself or about my faith? And so I ask, when I ask myself that question and try to answer it, it's going to be different for me than it is for all of you. Right? And so to me, a, an authentic relationship with God is one where, without fear of what I might discover and without fear of what others might think. And I think that Lisa's story does a good job of, of showing a different side of that same point. So authenticity is, <clears throat> excuse me, has always been a guiding principle of my life, even if I didn't always have the words for it. When I look back on the story of my life, I can put my finger on a small handful of events that really changed things for me in a way that was irreversible, and I'm sure that everybody in this congregation can do the same thing. Mike and I tried desperately for years to start our family. With every passing month, I was more and more devastated. We read all the right books, we said all the right prayers, and we saw so many doctors. I was clouded with doubts of my own worthiness. Was I not meant to be a mother? Were Mike and I not intended to raise a family together? We stood on our faith and leaned in hard to God's love in that difficult, challenging season of our marriage. There was no magic prayer that we said that led us to the two beautiful boys that we have today. And there was no quick fix to any of it. But we stood strong on our faith and relied on what we knew. Somewhere in the middle of all of that, I decided to leave a great job at a big law firm in a move that I know looked foolish at best to a lot of the people around me. Even myself, I was worried, and this move was absolutely covered in prayer, but as I was making this change in my life, I felt this peace and this calm that gave me the reassurance that I was doing the right thing and I was following the path that had been laid out for me. Years later, Mike and I sat down together and we made a plan for him to start his own business. I knew it would happen someday, but I didn't know it would happen in our brand new house full of toddlers. But we <laughs> sat down together and we planned and we prayed. And again, there was no magic prayer, there was no quick fix that changed the course of his business or our family, but we relied on our faith foundation that we had built together over the years. When I look back at each of these instances, what I can see in retrospect is how each one bleeds directly into the next. If we had started a family on our own timeline, I would have never started my own small part-time law practice. Having that business in place gave me the flexibility that I needed to support Mike as he went out and started his law practice. And we're I'm sorry, you're not a lawyer. <laughs> to start his business. Please tell me he's not a lawyer. <laughs> that would never work. And more recently, it's given me the flexibility to step up and to lead my family at home during these changes that the pandemic has forced on all of us. 
I was always taught growing up to trust my gut and follow my instinct, and by and large, it served me well over time. But what I have come to understand is that knowing that I find in stillness and in the peace, that's not my gut, nor is it my instinct. That's God. Last fall at the Bible study here at church, we all sat down that first Tuesday morning of our fall study, excited to dive into Psalms. And we all read Psalm 1 together. There's a beautiful image in that Psalm when we read, you'll have to forgive me, I didn't Blessed is the one who meditates on his law day and night. That person is like a tree planted by streams of water, which yields its fruit in season, and whose leaf does not wither. That image of the tree has really stayed with me. When I am quiet with prayer and with the Bible, I can feel my roots being fed by God. And I know that no matter how far I wander, or if I ever feel lost or abandoned, that when I am ready to return to my roots and to come back to God, He is there. As I was putting this talk together and thinking about the wandering, I kept coming back to this story. The wandering isn't always bad, sometimes it's fun. This one friend of mine in high school, one Friday evening, decided to hop in her car. She didn't have any serious plans, and so she thought she would just see where the wind blew her. She noticed as she set off these giant strobe lights in the distance, you know, the ones that wave back and forth and beckon you to a great restaurant opening or a new club or a fun festival. And so she decided to follow them. As she weaved through unfamiliar neighborhoods and took turns, sometimes putting the lights in her rearview mirror instead of ahead of her, she made her way across town. When she finally got to where she was going and she saw the spotlights, she realized that she had driven across town to arrive joyfully at the grand opening of a Dunkin' Donuts. <laughs> she certainly passed a half a dozen of those on her drive. When I am still and quiet with God, it's not like following the strobe lights. There are no fireworks. Instead, what I've learned is that God speaks to me in a more subtle way. It's almost as though he's lit a lamp and put it under a rug, and that's what I am meant to follow. If I get distracted and I forget to listen and to pray, I can follow those strobe lights and end up at a Dunkin' Donuts instead of going where God has set out for me. You know, in the spirit of authenticity, isn't it easier sometimes to return to prayer in the hard moments? Like Mike tells us, it is when he is at his most broken and desperate and devastated that he finally lets go of that polite dinner time conversation prayer and he brings his whole broken self to God in prayer. To me, authenticity means that. It means bringing your whole broken authentic self into everything you do. That means into your relationships with your family, at work, in your relationships at church, and with God. For me, the most guiding principle of authenticity has been when I bring my whole broken self to God in prayer. When I remember to return to my roots and to my foundation, I find him there waiting for me every time with direction and with comfort. Amen. Amen.